Hello everyone, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. You can learn more about detox at myersdetox.com and check out everything that we're doing over there. We have hundreds of articles on detox, detox supplements, uh, tons of information and instructions on detox protocols like infrared saunas and coffee enemas and just tons of information totally free that I work very hard to provide for you guys. And so all scientifically based, every article has at least five to 10, sometimes more scientific study references to support everything that we're saying here. And today we have a really interesting show with McKay Rippey. He is gonna be talking about nitric oxide deficiency and its role in detox and heart disease. This is a really, really interesting show because I recently started taking a nitric oxide supplement. I tested low on it and um, I was kind of surprised because I do a lot of things that increase uh, or are supposed to increase nitric oxide production in your body. So I'm working on this little part of my health and thought I would share it with you. And today we're going to be learning about symptoms of nitric oxide deficiency, including reduced detoxability, why nitric oxide is critical for heart health and healthy blood pressure and arteries, and the top five ways to increase nitric oxide toxins that lead to cardiovascular disease, and also, interestingly, why Viagra doesn't work sometimes, uh, and it's because you need nitric oxide. And so uh, so for some people out there, the Viagra's not working for them or their husband, they need to add nitric oxide to the mix. So um, really, really interesting show today, and uh, this is Uh, We also get into functional genomic nutrition and why some diets don't work for some people and why you really need a deep dive on your genetics to learn what type of diet is right for you. So you don't have to keep guessing and try all these different diets and get sick from one. And, you know, a lot of people try a lot of fad diets like keto or they try veganism or they try other things and are not well and are on these really restrictive diets that may not be working for them. So doing genetic testing that uh, McKay Rippey offers can be really, really helpful to just figure out the puzzle. What diet works for you? What should you be eating? So I know you guys listening to this show want to learn about detox and more importantly, what toxins are in your body affecting your health and how to detox them. Well, I created a quiz. It's at heavymetalsquiz.com. I created some life, this lifestyle questionnaire that you can answer and it will give you a score once you get your results. You'll get a free video series to discuss what your results mean, what's the next step to take to detox your body, where do I start? Because a lot of people know they need to detox, but they aren't really quite sure what is the first step that they should take. So I explain all that in this free video series you get after you take the quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, McKay Rippey, uh, his interest in genetics, toxicity, and nitric oxide was a result of waking up one morning unable to lift his right arm. After the panic subsided and he realized he was not having a stroke, the most likely cause seemed to be a Lyme disease flare-up. Um, and after what he thought was successful treatment, 
Um, he visited a, a urgent care, the ER, an orthopedic surgeon, his primary care doctor, a neurologist, and they confirmed it was not a stroke, but had no idea how this nerve damage had happened. And since the doctors didn't know, McKay became determined to find out what was going on. Not able to work for three months, he dove into his genetics and discovered the vast literature describing nitric oxide mediated nerve damage and charted his path back to health. So we talk about the pros and cons of nitric oxide on the show too. And McKay is a member of the research team for the Functional Genomic Nutrition Institute and regularly presents at their conferences. He was one of the first practitioners in the country to earn a master's degree in acupuncture from the Maryland University of Integrative Health. And he lives on a small farm in central New York where he has been practicing five element acupuncture for the past 20 years. You can learn more about McKay at McKayRippey.com. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. It's very excited to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into the health field? Wow. So health field. Well, this, let me, it goes way, way back. My mom was bipolar. So we had some interesting moments growing up. And I re- distinctly remember some doctor saying, your mother has a chemical imbalance in her brain and we're going to balance it. And they <laughs> never did. Yeah. They never did. And then at some point, you know, life goes on, my parents separate and I'm home from winter break, St. Mary's College of Southern Maryland. My dad's living up in DC. So I'm up in his apartment. He started getting acupuncture and I have no idea why, because he's not what you think of somebody who gets acupuncture. He was in the banking industry on the lobbying side of things. But he's got this material laying around the house and I start reading it and it's fascinating. And what they're talking about is if you follow nature's laws, you're going to be healthy. And the further you stray from those paths, from those laws, the more likely you are to get sick. So they, they had an alternate explanation for health and disease and not chemicals and stuff that the doctors thought they knew we were talking about, but really didn't. So I grabbed onto acupuncture. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I have to go study with these people. So I did. So that started my acupuncture career. So fast forward, I'm treating people with acupuncture. Studied with Bob Duggan, Diane Conley's uh, five-element acupuncture. And we moved to upstate New York. And I got bit, not up here, but down around the Hudson River by a tick. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't feel it, didn't see it. Got really sick in the middle of summer, just like the super bad flu. Oh, I was feeling so terrible. So I remember one Sunday morning crawling, almost literally, it may have been literally, to the bathroom, pull myself up, look at my eyes in the mirror, doing one of these deals like, wow, man, you look really bad. <laughs> kind of oh, deal, no. right? You're like, thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm doing this. And I look down and on my arm is the bullseye rash. And I think to myself, holy smokes. Now, at that point, I was so uninformed about Lyme disease. But when we were down in in the Baltimore area, my wife had worked for the Johns Hopkins School School of Public Health. She'd come home every day with a new way to die. 
And one of those ways to die, <laughs> I remember, was Lyme disease. So I saw this bullseye rash and says, it's Lyme disease. And the, strange, the strangest thing, Wendy, I felt instantly better because I had a diagnosis, even though it was self-diagnosed, I had a diagnosis. Like I didn't feel sick anymore. And I was crawling to the bathroom two seconds before that. So anyway, go down, long story short, go down to the ER. Everybody on duty comes down and look at the rash because we've never seen one of these before. So everybody looks at the rash. They give me 10 days of doxycycline. I take it. I follow up with some acupuncture and some herbal medicine. And I thought that was the end of it, right? So two things happened. One is I did, do think in retrospect, I lost a little bit of vigor, like energy. So my just strength, that's not what the wrong word, not physical strength, but my endurance, it just seemed to be dialed down a little bit. Now I could still do everything I wanted to. I didn't have to take days off, but it just wasn't quite the same. And lost hairline. <laughs> lost about a half inch of hair. My wife definitely pointed out and said, where did your hair go? She said, it's been, it disappeared since you had Lyme disease. Anyway, fast forward 15 years, I'm fine, more or less. Wake up one morning and I can't move my right arm. And my immediate thought is, you're having stroke, right? So I kind of do a mental checklist. It's like, well, this doesn't seem like a stroke. And the next thought is, this is Lyme disease. You're having a flare of Lyme disease. So in between there, I had started a podcast at Lyme disease, had specialized for Lyme disease in my little community because nobody was taking care of these people and somebody had to, at least to get them out of the area to Lyme literate physicians. Like we had to do something. So that basically morphed into extreme pain, sleepless nights, and I had to leave my work for three months. I lost three months of my life. But in the meantime, I had been beginning, beginning to study genomic nutrition, so genetic-based nutrition, and had my own analysis. So I started looking at my own genome like, and looking at what goes on to damage nerves, like what could be going on here? So in the meantime, you know, I went to urgent care, they sent me to the ER, ER sent me to orthopedic, orthopedic said, it's not injury, it's neurological, good luck. The neurologist said, did you injure yourself? Did you injure yourself? Did you injure <laughs> hundred ways? Do you ski? Did you lift something? No, 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 no. And they says, well, sometimes these things happen. Good luck. I was left, really left on my own. They didn't have anything. My, my primary says, you know, we could give you gabapentin. I said, I'm not really interested in medications and thanks. I'll take care of myself. So I did an herbal protocol. I did Cowden's protocol and that didn't really budge things. So it was like, okay, the infection's not active, right? Whatever hit me isn't active. It's more of a detox and a healing type of thing. So I start looking into it and nitric oxide keeps coming up again. And again, and again, it came up in my genome report and it came up in my research about nerve damage. And what was fascinating to me, and I'll, I'll pause here to let you kind of jump in because I could just talk about this for literally hours. On one hand, there are a bunch of papers. I went to the original sources, a bunch of papers saying you need nitric oxide, otherwise the nerves will get damaged. And on the other hand, they're saying nitric oxide is damaging your nerves. And in my, it's like, wh who's right, right? So I want to know, who, who won this debate? So I start getting into it. And we can talk later about what, why they aren't actually opposed to each other. They just seem to oppose to each other. Well, let's talk about it. You know, what is nitric oxide? 
And, uh, and let's talk about some other details about some benefits of it. Because I recently discovered that I had low nitric oxide. I did a little like um, a saliva test for it. And mine was really, really low. And I thought, that's weird. I never really thought about nitric oxide before increasing levels in my body or measuring it. So tell us about what it is exactly. Nitric oxide is this really tiny molecule. It's a molecule made up of one nitrogen and one oxygen. And basically it's got a backstage pass to the body. It diffuses through everything. It can do whatever it wants to do, go wherever it wants to go. It's fair. It's actually a, a radical, but it's not that reactive. It's not like a, do you know the hydroxyl radical? Have you heard of yes. that? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not like the hydroxyl radical with once it's made, it's reacting to what's ever nearby and doesn't go anywhere. The nitric oxide is a little more selective with what it reacts with. So it has more of an effect of a signaling molecule. So that's kind of a, and that's why it won the nitric oxide was the molecule of the year and won a Nobel Peace Prize, I forget, in the 90s, something like that. So because of this signaling function. So it's involved with literally everything. So one of my favorite things to do is what I'm listening at a health lecture is I'll sit there on my phone. I'm one of those rude people who's always on their phone. But what I'm doing is I'm Googling whatever they're talking about and nitric oxide. And I'm telling you, it's more than nine times out of 10. There's a link. There's amazing. It has to do with sleep. It has to do with digestion. It has to do with sexual function. It has to do with heart disease. It has to do with memory. It has to do with detoxification. It just, everywhere you look, nitric oxide is part of the signaling cascade, either receiving the signals or making the signals to make these various functions happen. And so why do someone's levels of nitric oxide get low? Aging, which we're not doing, right? We're, yeah. we're going backwards, <laughs> we're getting younger. <laughs> so aging, the, just like any other enzyme in the body, it becomes less efficient. So my, my question is, on this enzyme, I don't have an answer for this. Maybe you have an answer for this. Are the enzymes slowing down because of like genetic damage accumulation over time and they're just not as good enzymes? Or is it that we've got oxidative stress built up and the enzymes aren't functioning properly or our bodies are too cool or too acidic or too basic so the enzymes aren't as efficient? So what exactly is going on? Because we all know people who are healthy when they're older, right? Like vigorous, you, you look at the old woman or the man and they're, I don't know, my father-in-law is one, he's 80 some years old and he's out taking care of the cows every day. It's like, what you're doing? It's like, he puts me to shame, you know, splitting wood and stuff like that. He's twice as strong as I am. And he's 82, I'm 55, what gives? So something like that, like, so is it just literally aging or is there something else going on? But so that that's one. The other thing is, the nitric oxide enzyme seems to have another life and it turns into an enzyme that produces something called superoxide, which is another free radical, which is a little bit more damaging, but an even more interesting, it's part of the immune system. So when an enzyme like nitric oxide produces superoxide, and then there's other enzymes that produce as well. So the superoxide combines with the nitric oxide to form something called peroxynitrite. And I don't know if you've, have you done podcasts on that? 
And we have not. Listeners, so perox, here's kind of the end story to I talk. So what's the difference between, okay, not nitric oxide is this terrible, horrible molecule that must be stopped versus nitric oxide is the savior of the world and everybody needs more of it, right? So what happens is when the enzymes become what's called uncoupled, it makes more superoxide. And basically uncoupling happens when the cell's under stress or duress. So EMFs will do that. Toxins will do that. So now we've got this peroxynitrite being made, and this thing is super reactive. It reacts in lots of interesting, terrible ways. And if it's not broken down by glutathione or some other uh, antioxidants, what will happen is it starts combining, and then the, the chemicals it makes when it combines with various things, like, for example, carbon dioxide. So peroxynitrite plus carbon dioxide. And we all have lots of carbon dioxide in us, right? Our cells are springing out all the time. That's what we exhale. So carbon dioxide and peroxynitrite make something called a carbonate radical. And the carbonate radical loves to eat up your DNA. So this is one of the sources of this DNA. So chances are because you, this is a long answer to your question, because you have low levels, you probably have some NOS uncoupling going on and some hidden inflammation. That would be my guess. I and so to raise the levels, you know, perhaps you have to reduce inflammation and reduce toxins, but can they supplement with nitric oxide to increase the levels until they can fix these other things causing problems in the background? Right. That's, that's where things get very interesting. And that's where I like the genetic testing to give us some ideas like where should we be supplementing? So one of the things we talked before you hit record was you're supplementing with a product and we can show it. Yeah. So I'm taking right now, I'm taking Berkeley, Berkeley Life, Life Professional because I did a, the, the, the test, the saliva test and showed I had low nitric oxide levels so i was given this to supplement with it but it may not be that simple it it isn't but it's a good place to start so we were i was down in hershey this past weekend with beth shirley who's the scientific advisor for berkeley life and we presented about this topic together uh and she explained so what that product does is support a non-enzymatic pathway to produce nitric oxide so if your enzymes are struggling because of oxidative stress or just because your body's not expressing them, it's not making them. So expressing just means the body's taking the DNA and making the enzyme out of it. So if it's not expressing it, then you need a secondary path like, like this to boost. And some people think, and I'm not against this 100%, I just think there's more to the story. Some people think that you should be on at a supplement like that like a multivitamin, like that should be your multivitamin. That's a pretty actually convincing case. Again, it's not the whole story. So that would be a good place to start. But then, and what do I want to say? You, you need to take care of your enzymes as well. And there are a couple, re again, there are a few reasons why these enzymes are producing superoxide instead of nitric oxide. And it's really, again, that's a, a stress signal within the cell. So the cell gets stressed too much if it isn't retired, taken out, uh, goes through what's called apoptosis, so tagged for retirement, and it gets recycled. It gets eaten up by macrophages, and then the 
proteins are recycled. So if that doesn't happen, then you stand the chance of accumulating genetic problems, genetic polymorphism, sorry, genetic alterations, and cancer, right? That's kind of what we think the source of cancer is. Some people think the source of cancer is. So you want to get that cell out of the system. It's like, we, it's time to go away. You're causing problems. It's like having a disease plant in the middle of your garden. You got to take it out before the fungus spreads to the rest of the garden. Yes. Yeah. And so, so we can, one way is to supplement with nitric oxide. Are there other ways to naturally to support nitric oxide production? Yes. I'm going to hold up. So I, which is the right, I want to get the right one. <laughs> this is one of the supplements I got. This is only available through doctors. So if there, we have practitioners out there listening, go to functional genomic nutrition and actually we'll maybe talk about this a little bit later on. Uh, it, it's a great program. You get certified and learn how to read this stuff. And you, you know, this is, I wanted to bring this up at some point, Wendy. I forgot about this. I should have sent you a genetic test kit so we can talk about that. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to oh, send thank you one. You. Thank you. And what's really interesting, so not only can we look at your nitric oxide genes, we can look at your detox genes because we've just expanded. We think environmental toxicity is a big problem as you do right? And so we've expanded like the CYPs, the phase one detox. We've got all these phase two pathways that we're just learning about, glucuronidation and sulfation and uh, glutathione conjugation, all these great pathways that are really, really important for taking toxic substance out. And if you have a block in one of them, you can adjust and kind of overlap, but some of these pathways are very narrow and they're not a whole lot of options for some of these substances. Sunshine. Yes. You're, when sunshine, particularly UVA, so we know the UVB rays do vitamin D, the UVA do nitric oxide. Yeah, because don't bacteria on your skin make nitric oxide when exposed to sunlight? I don't know if that's internal or external. I thought it was internal. It was actually some nitrate in the blood gets converted over to nitric oxide. Okay. There are bacteria on the skin that do convert to nitric oxide. That is correct as well. So I don't know if those are related or not actually. So you've stumped me, stumped the expert. Yeah. Well, I just, I just read that somewhere. And so yeah. I, I don't know how much this bacteria nitric oxide skin production can, you know, contributes well, to the, overall level, but I read that. Yeah. The skin probiotic people, what's their name? They have to pump. Oh gosh. I don't exactly. Know. Okay. We both forget know. that. When the camera's on, you don't remember anything. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and so so getting sunlight is one way. So Are there any sauna. I, oh, oh sauna? Okay, great. Infrared saunas. Yes, because the heat shot protein activates endothelial nitric oxide synthase, so you get more nitric oxide. Of course, you think about it. You get hot. You need to be able to bring the blood to the surface to cool it, to cool it off. So you have to open up the blood vessels. So that's a good one. Exercise. Dr. McCullough has a hysterical video out there. He calls it the nitric oxide <laughs> dump. So if you'd like to be entertained and do some exercise, you can do this like in any room in the house at any time. It's a great He personally idea. showed me that the, oh, he's did, really right, the, oh, yeah. excited about the nitric oxide dump. He's excited about life, isn't he? <laughs> he is excited about health. He loves health. Yeah, when he, when he, he was out in Denver with us presenting, uh, he decided that it was a good look not to wear shoes. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody else is like jackets and shirt and some of the doctors are in ties and there's McCole in his t-shirt and jeans and no socks or shoes. He always has to be grounding. Always yes. at all times. In the middle of a hotel. Yes. Yeah. So there is, so there's an exercise. There's a set. If you want to go on uh, Mercola.com, you can look up a nitric oxide exercise or something. And, you know, it's, he's waving his arms and doing all these different things that increase nitric oxide. So is there any other ways that you can tell us to naturally increase it? There is, if you need a little more guidance, there's a device out there called Zona Plus, And it's a handheld device. I don't have mine with me that you squeeze and it measures your grip strength. So it calibrates it. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to be strong. It's like not, you don't have to generate 20 pounds of force or anything. It calibrates it to your strength. So if you're 70 years old and have a strong grip, and if you're 20 years old and have a weak grip, it'll adjust to that. And then you hold it for two minutes, switch to the other hand, two minutes, go back and forth twice. And in doing so, they have really good studies showing that it brings down blood pressure uh, about 20 points on the histolic and 10 points on the diastolic simply by squeezing this thing. Interesting. Yeah, because nitric oxide is involved in regulating your blood pressure. So your veins or your arteries expanding or contracting in response to stress. So how does this relate to heart disease? So why is nitric oxide so important for heart health so we all well first let's back up heart disease is a huge problem right like people the stats in the u.s are just terrified like every 50 seconds somebody's having a heart attack there are millions 28 million 38 million something like that in 2016 with heart disease it's just the mass numbers are massive the other thing to think about is the rise in heart disease over the years and we all know about the rise in toxicity and you know, is there a correlation? You know, who knows? That's for the epidemiologists to figure out. But it's suspicious. And there is decent research out there about toxicity and heart, and heart disease. In fact, I came across this book published by Selvier, and they're a publisher of a lot of studies. And they have an entire heart disease and toxicity book. It's 680 pages of the most depressing stuff you could ever read, right? Because they're going through, you know, <laughs> military toxins and household toxins. It's just, it's just awful. And there, there's plenty of good studies linking the two. So I was preparing for presenting in this Denver uh, genomic conference. That, that's where I met Mercola. Um, and I wanted to bring in toxicity. So I've decided to focus on BPA. And I see you've done quite a bit on your podcast about BPA. So we don't really need to rehash exactly what BPA is. But basically, 2003, EPA gets 2,500 people to pee in a cup, and 93% of those had BPA in their urine. Like we've all got it. And this other seven percent, their kidneys weren't working. That's, that's <laughs> exactly what I think. Yeah, the kidney or their detox pathways are blocked, and they can't yeah. get it out. So they're actually yeah. worse off than the p- people who are peeing it out, right? So we've all got this in our system. So BPA does two things: it interferes with the angiotensin pathway. So angiotensin is a compound. It's produced in the kidneys, usually when we have low blood pressure or low sodium. And then the second part is produced in the lungs. So it takes, it's a two-step process. These chemicals have to bond to each other to activate a rise in the blood pressure. BPA tells angiotensin that you need to raise the blood pressure. 
So that's number one. Number two is it act it upregulates nitric oxide synthase three. So it's kind of counterbalance itself some. So that's not why everybody who has exposure has high blood pressure. But what also happens is this angiotensin starts to put stress on the endothelial cells and the nitric oxide synthase becomes uncoupled and starts producing the superoxide. And so now we get into this cell danger response. The cells starting to accumulate more and more stress signaling instead of making nitric oxide, which is basically the body saying, we're working hard, but everything's okay. It starts producing superoxide and proxy nitrite that says we're working hard and we're in danger. In fact, if there's enough of this, the cell will pause its cycle long enough to repair DNA before it tries to replicate again. So it'll pause its reproductive cycle so it can do that and try to get things right. And if that doesn't happen, then it just waves the white flag and says, okay, you know, we're, we're done. We're retiring. Take us out. And if, the, if even more accumulation damage, and this is where you get the heart disease, right? Necrosis starts to kick in. So necrosis is a cell death that's uncontrolled. And once the body sees these cell parts kind of flying out in the cytoplasm, it doesn't, the immune system doesn't like that. It sees extracellular ATP and it goes on full alert. It says there's an invader here and sends in all the white blood cells. So you start getting inflammation. And this is where you get the damage inside the blood vessels. And this is where the damage accumulates. And then what's interesting that happens, so this, not only do you have this damage here, but you have this lack of nitric oxide. So you have this damage, then you have this constriction because you can't vasodilate. So you get this constriction, damage, and then you get lack of control over things like other immune cells. So nitric oxide, part of its path is that it calms down other inflammatory molecules and other inflammatory enzymes. It downregulates them. So this is where back in the beginning we talked about it. nitric oxide is wonderful. Everybody needs it. It has these amazing properties. So if we're not producing enough of it, it's turning into proxy nitrite. Things start to spin out of control. And one of the things that nitric oxide calms down is mast cells. And now we're all hearing about mast cells and mast cell activation and mast cell degranulation. So the mast cells start coming into the heart because that's where the damage is. And now you have a spasm that's caused by the histamine being released. So you've got these tiny little arteries that are blocked up because there's damage and because they're constricted and there's dead cells all around there. And then you get this spasm happening because this massive histamine dump. And then you're calling 911 if you're lucky or that's it if you're unlucky. Yeah. Yeah. And that's unfortunately the fate for so many people. Um, you know, my grandmother passed away from a heart attack and, so did her father and, you know, my father had so many different heart issues and, uh, and suffered from cardiovascular disease. So this is something we have to pay attention to. We need to be paying attention to our nitric oxide levels and why they're low and, you know, live an overall healthy lifestyle, but it helps to be paying attention to this marker. And this is not a marker that uh, medical doctors are testing. It's a shame. It's so easy, especially the saliva tests. You can do urinary or blood nitrate. Actually, what the strip is testing is nitrite, 
which is a downstream marker from nitric oxide. It's actually very difficult to measure nitric oxide because it's a gas and it, it lasts maybe maybe a second in the cells, but probably a lot less than that. Yeah. And so what are some of the symptoms of low nitric oxide? And maybe we can talk about Viagra a little bit in that conversation. Sure. <laughs> so uh, let's talk it's about important. some of the it is, symptoms. It's super important. Now, oh, wow, there's so much to say here. Basically... And is erectile dysfunction a, a sign of low nitric oxide that then they go together, precursor right? to heart disease, potentially? They, absolutely. They, they go together. But that's just, see, and I don't forgive the, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely connected. So one of the, there are three types, let's start here. There are three types of enzymes in the body that make the nitric oxide. There's the endothelial, there's the, immune system or inducible nitric oxide, and then there's the neuronal nitric oxide. Now, these names are terrible because really, there's studies, really good studies out there showing they, they work together as a team. So if one kind of slacks off, the others will fill in their place. So it's not like just endothelial nitric oxide works with the endothelium and blood pressure, and that's all it does. No, it's expressed all over the place. And there are endothelial cells everywhere. So again, it has to do with fertility. It has to do with the bioflow out of the liver. If you've got constriction in the vessels going out of the liver, you can detox like a champ, but it's just going to back up, right? So you can see where this is super important. The, I was just reading papers about the neuronal nitric oxide. It's involved with bipolar, depression, aggression, schizophrenia, again, sleep, memory. It's this again, this amazing signaling module. So you ask me what the symptoms are, and almost my answer is, what do you got? Mm -hmm. Right. However, so that's why those strips that you have are so wonderful. So if, if somebody is sick with anything, and you do the the spit test, and your nitrate levels are super low, that you've got it. You've got an issue. You've got an issue, and you need to begin ex exploring that. Of course, elevated blood pressure is one, right? So we can start there. Erectile dysfunction is another obvious one, and they're related. Now, Viagra and drugs like that don't actually work on the nitric oxide. They work on the chemical, the GMPCs, I forget, the downstream chemicals that the nitric oxide triggers to make the vasodilation happen. So they're affecting the downstream effect of nitric oxide. So if you're taking Viagra, anything like that, and it's not working, chances are your nitric oxide. You have to have nitric oxide to make the Viagra work. So there are people just had a, a, a very nice doctor. We had a conversation in Denver. He comes back to the, the Hershey conference we just had. And he you know, pulls me aside and says, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he says, things are much better. And I, you know, I was like, what things? You know, you know things are much yeah. better. Yeah, <laughs> you're like that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so right. he was, and he was using the Berkeley. He started off with a Berkeley Life product. Uh, okay, yeah. great, fantastic, fantastic. So we know it works. Okay, and so let's talk about the pathway. The what pathway leads from toxins to cardiovascular disease? Because we know that toxins are a huge contributor to cardiovascular disease. Can you talk more about that? 
So again, this goes back to the angiotensin pathway. And this is my, I'm going to go out on a branch here, a, a limb. And I don't think it's too thin of a limb, but what I researched very closely was BPA mediating this NOS uncoupling and all this oxidative stress. I believe the same pathway gets activated for many, many different toxins. And remind me, we could talk about EMFs too. It's slightly different, but it's very, very similar. So what happens is the toxin comes in, the body recognizes it. And for whatever reason, it activates the angiotensin pathway. Again, the body thinks it's going into shock. So it says, let's raise your blood pressure, except you're not in shock. You're just being poisoned. And downstream from that also, then it begins to affect the integrity of the nitric oxide synthase. So instead of producing nitric oxide, it's producing the superoxide, which then combines and makes a proxy nitrite. So your cell, instead of you know swimming in warmth and fuzziness, is now swimming in an, its own toxic oxidative soup. And if it can't turn that around, if there's not enough glutathione in the cell, if there's not enough BH4 to, that can be recycled, if there's not enough vitamin C, vitamin E, antioxidants like that, then the cell starts breaking down, literally. Things start falling apart, membranes start breaking down, and the DNA eventually gets damaged as well. And then at some point, the cell calls it quit, or if the oxidative damage happens too quickly or overwhelms the entire system because this is going on for air forever, you know, your head's next to your router at night for 20 years, at some point, you're just too much damage, your body can't catch up. So the EMF toxicity happens through calcium channels. So it excites these calcium channels. And nitric oxide is activated when calcium goes into the cell. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's close enough. So again, what happens is the synthase, the nitric oxide synthases get excited. But not only is it exciting the nitric oxide, it's exciting the rest of the immune system that says something's not right here. So the body's producing these superoxide molecules in other places beside the NOS. They start combining, forming the peroxy nitrate, forming other things, hydrogen peroxide, creating the oxidative damage. The nitric oxide synthase becomes uncoupled. And again, this inflammatory feed-forward loop gets going and gets worse and accelerating and accelerating. So you, you add on top, you know, endocrine disruptors, you know, plastics, uh, glyphosate, right? Uh, EMFs, stress, bad eating, inflammatory fats, you know, pile it on. At some point, how, how can you not be sick? That's really the question. You look at somebody healthy, it's like, how did you avoid this? <laughs> Right. That's what I think too. Because when I, you know, you're just saying walking around out in public, you know what kinds of diets people are eating. You know, the majority of them are on medications, and it's just how are. I mean, it, the prognosis is grim for a yeah. lot of people given our environment and diets and the medical system. Well, the numbers show that for the past two years, our life expectancy has decreased. For the first time, I think, no, there was a brief time in the 30s during the depression where it went down. But since they've been measuring it, so our lives are getting shorter. That's not good. We're going on the wrong, with all the technology we have. And a lot of those old deaths used to be things like the flu or heart attacks. People don't die of heart attacks anymore because we can save them. But they die of heart disease, right? They have dementia. They have strokes 
catastrophic events like that, they're still alive and they die from organ failure, but it's not a heart attack anymore. Yay, we're getting better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my father. My grandfather died of organ failure, but had heart disease, high blood pressure, metabolic disease, the whole nine yards. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so so how big of a problem is environmental toxicity and heart disease? So you talked about BPA, which is just ever-present in our environment. BPA-free is not any better at all. You just kind of have to avoid plastics as much as you yeah. can, but it's still, even yeah. still, it's, impo- it's almost impossible. It's in our water. It's in the water. It's like rocket shower. fuel, right? Yeah. It's we've all the got shower it. water that you're showering in. Very few people have water home water filters. Um, so it's just, yeah. uh, if you haven't seen Wendy's last episode, go <laughs> right with, with Leo, what's his last name? I oh, Leo, Leo Simborski. Simborski. Yes. Yes. Go watch that episode. It's awesome. Yes. It's good. Leo is amazing. He's such a such a brilliant speaker about water filtration and the importance of that. Yep. Yeah. So how big a problem of it? Again, this is me out on a limb. I don't know that anybody can correlate the two as closely as we'd like. It's like, but how can it not be? You know, I just listed all those things that lead to heart disease, and we've got all all of them. The best you can do is mi- minimize your exposure right? And protect yourself as, as much as you can. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, I, so I grew up in DC and the problem in DC when I was growing up was lead exposure from leaded gasoline and also the, the, the old paint in houses. And then the fumes, we lived on Calvert street on a really busy street and a lot of bus and, and gas uh, exhaust from the cars going by, right? So, and I got tested, you know, it became a big scare sometime in the late 60s, early 70s. My mom took me down to the hospital and got my blood drawn and sure enough, you know, significant lead exposure. You know, so what was the answer? Well, stop letting them eat lead paint. And he said, well, I can't remember the last time I checked on the windowsill. So not sure what we're gonna do. You know, so that's, you know, and that's just the case. And our bodies can excrete some, right? There are pathways where we can get rid of heavy metals. It's just we're we're overwhelmed. We've done too much. It's just it's too much. We're designed to handle some. It's just not everywhere. So now I'm out in the countryside, right? And on one side I've got organic farmers, and on the other side we've got non-organic farmers. And so luckily we're kind of upwind, but they spray glyphosate and and other chemicals and it's on feed for their for the cattle it's not going direct to market but it's out there and, and it's amazing to see it's just like nothing on these fields and i know i know i got corrected once it's yeah there are some glyphosate resistant weeds but on this field literally across the street when they spray it nothing else but the corn grows nothing no weeds no nothing matter of fact they had been farming that way on the property we're on now on a little farm 30 acre farm and for many years, there were no fireflies. And there was like all of a sudden, one summer came and there were fireflies. And I didn't realize we were missing them. I was like, wow, that's amazing. But the fireflies were like the canary in the coal mine. And I, Neil Nathan has this. We're, st- we're stealing this from him. Neil Nathan says, you know, th- there are people out there who are super sensitive. You know, we call them the canaries in the coal mine. He said, don't forget, we're all in the coal mine. Yeah. Like, it's not their problem. It's like, we're in the coal mine with them grab them and let's get out. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also amphibians also. I grew up in Texas. There were just frogs everywhere, like hundreds and hundreds of frogs when you'd walk at night, and they're just gone. I mean, people have sprayed these pesticides and glyphosate and Roundup weed killer, and um, the amphibians are they're gone for the most part. Yeah, that, that makes the work you're doing, I think, critical. It, it may be the most important piece in health, right? You know, step number one, stop hitting yourself on the head with the hammer, right? You got, you got to take away the insults. You got to get rid of the mold. You got to, as much as you can, we can't, like, we can't be perfect. You can't, but we can do better. Again, our bodies, when they're relatively healthy, can handle some insult. It's when we get overwhelmed that things fall apart. So clean, follow Wendy's advice, clean up your environment, clean up your livers, clean up yourselves, get saunas, do all those things that you know to do. Get inspired. Yes, yes exactly. That's what I'm trying to do is inspire people. Not, I have to, you know, we have to have some reality check. It's a little depressing talking about <laughs> all of these toxins and everything, but there's a lot you can do and a lot you can control. And, and one really interesting thing it, to biohack your body is genetics and yes. doing genetics testing. And yes. um, I actually listened to a le lecture with Donna Gates this weekend at a Lead It to Live It uh, conference, and she was talking about genetics. And so you do functional uh, genomics testing. So yes. how did you get into that? And can you explain exactly what uh, functional genomic nutrition is, which is what you focus on? So I'm gonna plug my podcast. Okay. <laughs> what is the name of it? Lime Ninja Radio. Lime Ninja. Lime Ninja Lime Radio. Ninja. Okay, yeah. Nice. I, I need to have you on if you want. <laughs> yes, I'd love to. <laughs> so what What happened was so I got Lime. I told you my Lime story, and it started showing up in our community, and invisibly so. And I have a friend who's an expert. Uh, Greg Lee in Frederick, Maryland. And he'd been chirping in my ear about Lyme disease. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And, and finally I got inspired, right? It's like, okay, my community needs somebody who knows. So set up a, a support group in the area, started learning about it. And I figured what better way to learn than to start a podcast. So I'll learn and I'll share my knowledge with everybody else and we'll just all learn together. So 263 episodes later, five years later, one of those interviews with is a man named Bob Miller and Bob Miller is like naturopathic Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just this kind of unassuming. If you saw him in the mall, you wouldn't actually, you wouldn't see him in a mall. You would just walk right by him. He's very unassuming, but he got this beat. What happened was he was doing uh, nutritional counseling and methylfolate became exciting, right? The MTHFR genes, became excited. So people began looking at their 23andMe data. Do they have the MTHFR? Yes, I've got it. So he started doing that and giving his patients, suggesting they take methylfolate. Some of them did great and some of them did really, really bad. And he thought there must be something else to the story. So that began his investigation. And this is probably about 15 years ago. So it goes on and on and he starts looking at the other data and doing research and looking at the genes in 23andMe. And he puts together this software that was looking at 9,000 different SNPs within the 23andMe. And he created the system and he 
figured out why methylfolate isn't great for everyone. And the reason is methylfolate pushes the phase one detox. And if you have SNPs or problem in phase two, you are setting yourself up for disaster, right? Phase one takes really toxic chemicals, but makes them water soluble and more dangerous to the body in some ways. They can't be stored anymore. They have to be dealt with. And if phase two isn't up to the job, then that just blows up in your face. So he says, you have to get your phase two right before you start pushing phase one with methylation. So he discovers that. He starts teaching other people. 23andMe in the middle of the night changes their test. So instead of looking at these 9,000 data points, they're now looking at about 3,000. So basically a software stops working. It's probably done on purpose, I think. I'm a little conspiracy. Oh, for sure. Well, they were shut down by the FDA for a minute, so they had to make them happy and, and, and redo the test. Right. And the, the other thing about this is you, you go to a genetic counselor, what they're looking at is this gene causes this disease. That's way too simplistic. Again, we're looking at compounding factors here. Like what, what 20 factors genomic problems add up and interact in a certain way that cause certain problems down line and that can lead to, okay, we need to intervene over here to make sense of that. And every, you know, we all have 20, 40 different problems genetically or more, but they're all different. They all line up a little bit differently. And that's, that's the fun part. He calls it a 3D chess game played underwater. So yeah. long story short, <laughs> <laughs> you get you get the picture right yeah <laughs> it's it's like that it truly is like that and he had to develop his own chip so he spent you know a quarter of a million dollars developing his own chip and now so we've got a chip that measures eighteen thousand instead of nine thousand it's much more sophisticated we're getting deeper into it and there's a whole group of uh, physicians out there naturopaths occasionally an acupuncturist like me who's just fascinated by the way that genomics influences nutrition. So what happens is somebody, literally, you get a kit, you spit in a tube, you send it off just like 23andMe, except it goes to a different lab. It goes to a lab in uh, Princeton and they do the analysis. We get the data back, run reports, spend a lot of time analyzing it like and figuring out what's going on. It's not simply this, this SNP or this gene causes this problem. It's not like you have nitric oxide genes, therefore you have nitric oxide problems. It's much more sophisticated than that. And right now we don't have the machine logic to do it. It takes a human being. I kind of like that actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, what genes are involved in uh, nitric oxide function and production? So yeah, of course the nitric oxide synthases themselves. Then there's a cofactor called BH4. And BH4 recycles uh, nitric oxide. It's, it's, it's necessary to keep the, the enzyme from uncoupling. But BH4, interesting, is also involved in neurotransmitter formation. So we need that to take, for example, tryptophan to serotonin. So if you don't have enough BH4, you can't turn tryptophan into serotonin and you become a little bit anxious and a mess. So if you're low BH4, you can have nitric oxide problems, but you can also have psychological problems or emotional problems as well. So BH4 is a big one. We're all hearing now about NADPH, NAD, so the nicotinamide riboside, I think I got that right, NMR, and that pathway. So you need those pathways, right, to get the electron donor there. You need some zinc. Uh, and then the oxidative 
SNPs and the oxidative genes. Because if there's too much oxidative stress in the cell, then it's going to start uh, breaking down the nitric oxide synthase. But those those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. There are other ones involved as well. There has to also the citrulline part of the urea, urea cycle. There's a citrulline conversion to arginine, but that's a discussion for another day. So they're they're probably about six major ones and a dozen uh, in total that we look at to see about nitric oxide function. However, again, 3D chess game played underwater. The, you can have nitric oxide problems and have you know, the perfect genes. You could win awards for your perfect nitric oxide genes. However, the functionality has become a problem. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of things that act on our genes like environmental toxins and stress yep. and other things that cause them to express or turn them off. So it's, exactly. that's why it's a 3D chess game underwater. Yes. <laughs> and yes. so and so you can learn about your nitric oxide genes, perhaps from there some workarounds uh, around your genes. And then what other kind of information can we get? Dietary information, do's and don'ts from a functional genomic nutrition testing? Yes. There are some clues into you know whether somebody will or won't do well on a genetic, uh, I'm sorry, on a ketogenic type diet. Some people just need a few more carbs. Now I'm not a fan of you know peanut M and M's and Diet Cokes. That was my go-to snack for years and years and years. I hear you used to like Diet Coke as well. Oh my God! Yeah, every meal. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, but I, I, uh, definitely broke that habit. But yeah, it yeah, was a, good, a good for habit. you. <laughs> yeah, I'm healthy, except you know, don't for the pile of diet coke bottles in the back. Yeah, the <laughs> I recycled here. them. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Power to the people. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, what were we talking about before we got sidetracked by diet coke? The carbs. The, the carbs. Yeah. Carbs. So, some yeah. Young. So some people just need some more carbs because they're not as efficient sparing carbs, or they're not as efficient burning fats. They may have some genetic issues with either digesting the fats or pulling the fats into the cell to be used for fuel. So in that case, you can support that. So maybe those are people who just take a longer time to transition, eat it into like a ketogenic diet, or just they need to keep their carbs up a little bit higher. You know, those are the people who maybe need to do 50 grams a day, something like that. So or we get that 150 grams, like in my case. Oh, really? That high? <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, but yeah, but you know, I like my carbs, but yeah. Uh, it doesn't. Yeah. And people are, have a wide variety of needs uh, for fat, for carbs. And so it's, I don't like these one size fits all diets, um, no. like all keto or vegan or like these extreme diets. People get into uh, trouble. Not everyone has an ability to be on these extreme diets genetically and your genes can give you a clue as to what you should do and not do. Absolutely. So one of the big genes we look at are the MTR and MTRR genes, and they have to do with how our body uses vitamin B12. And for example, if you're a vegan and you've got these genes and you need extra B12, you're, you're in a tough spot to try to get, unless you're getting injections, it's tough to get it even sublingually. So over the years, so, you know, it's not gonna go away immediately, right? It's gonna, but you hear these stories 
where eventually somebody, you know, they smell bacon. They've been a vegan for 20 years and they smell bacon. And bacon apparently is the gateway drug for vegans. And then they start <laughs> eating a little bit of protein. They don't go crazy, but they add a little bit of protein back in. And all of a sudden, they, they didn't realize how sick they had become over the years, how, how exhausted they had become, and how, you know, their health had declined. And then they start feeling good again. You know, and they're still eating well. And listen, I totally get why not to eat meat? There's so many reasons not to do that, but it's really, really difficult to be fully healthy and to be a, a full-on vegan. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's some people for whatever. Personal. Yeah, there's some people for whatever reason their genetic makeup they yeah. can just handle the inherent nutritional deficiencies, uh, where another person can have severe health issues and nerve damage and. Yes. Uh, their back has and their spine degenerating and all kinds of like horrific things that they just need to eat some meat uh, to make those symptoms go away. Yeah. Or eggs or right something, right? Mm-hmm. Spirulina, something. Yes. One, so one of my, to your point about one size does not fit all, my favorite thing that I tell my patients, you know, is that what should I be eating? They said, you know, this diet, that diet. And you get true believers, right? Somebody tries to diet, and it's not for them, they just try the next one and you don't hear much about it. Somebody tries a diet and it saves their life, they are now evangelical about that diet and everybody's got to do it because it saved my life. So you go through Barnes & Noble, you know, one book by one, they're exactly the same format. They're testimonials, diet X, the grapefruit diet, the, the pork fat diet, the whatever, the celery diet saved my life. And these people are sincere. It, I believe it really did. So, and then they've got the science behind it, and then they've got the recipes. The books are all the same. It doesn't matter what the content is. It's like the same guy wrote it, or they're buying the same template and then filling in the blanks. It's incredible. And that's because we're so genetically diverse. And we're, I think we're even more diverse. So if you rewind history, generations would grow up in the same place unless something catastrophic happened. They did a study like through the, the, the Huns, right? Coming through the different areas. And they found language changed more than the genetics. It's like, we are rooted to where we're from until we weren't, right? We start traveling to the new world. So in addition to traveling to a new place, now all of a sudden you got, like in my case, my family, Irishmen marrying an Italian woman. What you should you be eating, right? Should you be eating Mediterranean? Should you be eating something like haggis or something weird that the Irish would eat? Right, potatoes and whiskey. No, <laughs> I do kind of like potatoes and whiskey. But I just had Tullamore do the other day. Yeah. So, anyway, sidetrack. Squirrel as whiskey. Yeah. The, the point. So the point is. So, so we're even more confused. So we've got genetic combinations that are unique. Right, and now you put them in America, where nobody eats like their ancestors did, like their great great grandmother did. So around us, there are a lot of Sicilians. The Sicilians came over about 120 years ago. So I'll ask my patients, you know, they're my Italian patients. Like, tell me how long your great grandmother lived. Oh, great grandma Mafalda, she lived till she was 99. She was healthy as a horse. Oh, tell me about your grandparents. Well, you know. Josephine, she lived till she was 90. How long do your parents? Well, my parent died from heart disease when they were 95. It's like the, the age, you know, it's supposed to be the other way around. It's like they're living 
shorter lives. And why is that? They've abandoned the foods that nourished, right? They abandoned the ways that worked for them. Great-great-grandma ate exactly the same as she did. She found American equivalents or ate the same way she did back in the old country. And we move further and further away from that, more into convenience foods, you know? So should an Italian, Irish person be eating Mexican? Who knows? We don't know. We're just sorting that out now. I think that's one of the big confusions. You know, I'm sure the number one question you get is, what should I eat? And the answer is, we got to figure it out. We don't know. You know, yeah, who's I, I thrive on Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> that's I awesome. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, I love Mexican food, but um, with some spr- broccoli sprouts on it. Um, so, uh, so tell us, you know, where they can learn more about your work where they can do functional genomic nutrition testing and, and all the other things that you, you offer on your site. So my website is mckayrippy.com and that's my name, M-A-C-K-A-Y-M-O-U-S-E. No, that's what my brother yeah. said. M-A-C-K-A-Y-R-I-P-P-E-Y.com and I'll have information there and we'll, I'll explain all about the testing. Essentially, this testing has to be done through a licensed practitioner. It's not available like 23andMe. Matter of fact, 23andMe's health reports now, they're useful, but they're not going to help you drill down into this 3D chess game that we're talking about. They're going to tell you, you know, avoid fats or you should eat more carbs, just simple simple things like that, which may or may not be correct because actually they're just percentages. You you need somebody to walk you through it. It's it's that complex at this point. Maybe in ten years it'll all be done by a computer, but right now we need human beings. So go to my website. I'll I've got a box there that says Wendy Myers Detox. So you click on that. We'll have more information about how to get the testing done. I can help you do that. Uh, and if you want to work with me, that's great. If not, I can help you find somebody in your area if you want to go face to face. Or you can do, of course, teleconsults. And, and you have your podcast too, the Lime Ninja podcast. Lime Ninja Radio. Uh, Lime Ninja know, Radio. Yeah. If you know people with Lyme disease, I've gotten some, I'm sure you get the same thing. These heartfelt letters from people who are so sick, they're bed bound, they're, su- they're, li- they're literally suicidal. And they find something that gives them a spark of hope, right? And when you've got like you have, you know, you have 300 and something podcasts and somebody can just binge listen and get them through the night, you know, to a voice they, they like and to listen to, it's, it's really something. So, and the topic I do is, is around Lyme disease and it's, it's just an awesome podcast. People in the community have been so generous with their time and their expertise sharing it. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. And you know, again, LimeNinjaRadio.com, same places, iTunes, Stitcher, all the places. And there's Lime, Lime, excuse me, LimeNinjaRadio.com uh, as well for, for a website. You can find everything there. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, McKay, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was really, really interesting. And this is a topic I hadn't explored before, but it's a really important part of the conversation. Um, so thanks for coming on. And everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Myers Detox Podcast, where every week we explore all types of topics related to detoxification and your health in general and genetics and nitric oxide, definitely uh, an important part of that conversation. And so thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys next week.